What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Today's episode of the Chase to Must podcast is brought to you by our presenting sponsor, Panko Chicken. The new Atlanta restaurant thrives off of a unique spin on Japanese and Western cuisine and is already racking up the awards, winning best-selling taste in the Taste of Atlanta Awards both in 2017 and 2018. So if you're in the metro Atlanta area and are wanting to try something new and good and delicious, Go to Panko Chicken today and tell them that I sent you over. You'll be glad you did, I promise. Panko Chicken, where eats meets West. Chase Thomas podcast. The Chase Thomas podcast. Um, my nephew needs me to record. See, I hate. I already hate it. I hate it. All right, welcome back to a Saturday morning edition of the Chase Thomas podcast. I think this is my first Saturday morning podcast I've ever done. But um, I have my coffee, I have my LaCroix, and I also have Sam Meredith of Talking Chop and Petri Hoops joining me on a Saturday morning. What a trooper. Sam, good morning. How are you? I'm good. How are you, Chase? I'm good. Did you go out last night? I did not. I stayed in and uh, watched the Braves give a, give a, give a game away. <laughs> so that sucked because um, I also I, I sent out... Um, friend of the pod, Eric Thompson. Um, he writes for Daily Norseman, another SB Nation blog. Uh, but he he sent me a note about uh, loving my Instagram stories because I um, screen capped um, the Braves with two runners on top of the ninth. Albies was on, and who else got on first? Was it it wasn't Joyce. Who was who else got on base to start the top of the ninth? Who am I blanking on? They got walked. Who was it? Because I'm blanking too. Who was it? Oh, my God. Because they had a pinch hitter, Culberson, and he popped out. But before that, it was Albies. It was it. Maybe it was Riley. Could have been Riley. May have been Riley. Um, yeah, anyway, I think that was it. Um, no outs. Um, Suera only throwing cutters. Like, that's his own thing. He's going to throw cutters to death. And I was like, oh, they're they're going to blow it. Typical Nats. Um, and then, uh, of course, they did not. They went one, two, three, and Dansby popped out on, like, the first pitch. And Acuna struck out. Which was uh, brutal, but yeah, not not a fun way to lose that game. But also, um, is Jacob Webb like the worst pitcher to get a bunch of outs I've ever <laughs> seen? Because he's all over the place. His I, I don't think he threw one strike last night, but he went uh, just he got nothing but outs. I don't understand how he does it, but I was texting my grandfather about it, and we were like, I, I don't get the Webb experience, but I'm here for it. And he's been very. Uh... I'll say lucky this season. His his statistics don't point towards somebody who's who's actually good at getting outs. But um, I, I think he has potential if he could ever harness the ability to throw strikes consistently. Because 95, 96 plays anywhere, you know, and that sharp slider just falls off the table. Yeah. Um, Rosenthal, who was off to a bad start in Washington, he throws nothing but 98, 98, 98, and uh, – it, it was good, but I like Webb's. Like he goes from a four seamer, which is hits I think ninety seven, but he has a changeup that's eighty six and a curve that's uh, eighty. I, I like the going from ninety seven to to eighty. Um, I got a couple guys. I got Para. Oh, also the Para ejection. Oh, let me. Uh, God, I'm so excited. I never get to talk about it, these Atlanta little things that no one else keeps up with. Um, that broadcast booth last night. I, I don't know how you feel about uh, the Carey Francoeur duo, but Jesus Christ. Um, yeah, <laughs> it's a snoozer, but also Carrie immediately taking the ump side when Para just like put his arms up. With if you looked at the pitch, it was way out. Like even Braves fans would admit that that was not a strike. And hit like the strike zone last night was not good. Um, I forgot who was. Uh, it wasn't Angel. It was Chris something. Um, who was calling the game uh, behind the plate, but. Um, he struck out Para and uh, just way outside. And Para thought he walked. It was a three-two pitch and. Uh, they immediately tossed him and Carrie was like, well, you can't do that. He throws arm and then Frank Gore was like, you know, I'm like, what the fuck are you talking about? He just put his arms up and walked away. Like he probably said something, but like 
What? Yeah, I've, I've publicly stated a couple times on Twitter that uh, I'm not a Chip Carey fan by any means. Um, Jeff, I, I think Jeff tries, and I honestly appreciate. Try? I honestly appreciate him being genuine. Like yes, the moments, genuine. the moments, the moments where he says, "You know, I would have struck out right there." That kind of makes you laugh. <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah, you would have. But um, <laughs> no, nah, I'm not a Chip Carey fan at all. Jeff falls asleep. He reminds me of. I don't know if you're a professional wrestling guy, but um, they just they Beth Phoenix is now a NXT commentator. And, yes. Okay. He's the male Beth Phoenix, where like he'll pick his spots. <laughs> You'll forget he's there a lot, especially in the three man booth. You're like, what yeah. is the point of this? Because they're clearly not comfortable, but also they don't have the reps. So maybe in a couple years they'll be more confident. And they'll be talking more and all that kind of stuff. But like as of right now, you're just like. Oh, oh, right. They're on this broadcast. Like that's, I think about that all the time when Frank Core starts talking on these games. I'm like, oh, I forgot. Yeah, right. Jeff Frank Core is calling this Braves game. He fades in and out, and I feel like someone gets in his ear, like Jeff. It's been 17 minutes and you haven't said anything. Um, would you like to chime in here? <laughs> well, usually I, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll mute the broadcast most nights and listen to either Jim Powell on the radio Very or good. Jim Powell's good, or or some or just not listen to it at all. But um. Anything is better than Joe Simpson in the booth, <laughs> in my opinion. Yeah. That 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 was just a disaster last season. Yeah, that was uh, that was not good, folks. Um, especially because uh, somebody I'm going to talk about in a little bit, um, who a trade target for the Braves. I don't think uh, Joe Simpson would like this person, and um, it would just be <laughs> annoying. Um, his name starts with Rizeal and ends in Iglesias. Um, so the Hawks this week. Um, I, I logged on to Twitter.com, and that was a mistake because um, just the different takes. And there, there is this image going around, Sam. And I don't know if that, like, I am just conditioned to feel a certain way about Atlanta sports. But, like, the hype around all four teams. I mean, Atlanta United already won, which is cool. They're getting back on track, all that kind of stuff. But the mm-hmm. hype surrounding this Braves team, they're three games up or whatever it is now on – the Phillies, you have um, the Hawks now with their young core and the picture going around the starting five of the future. And then you have the Falcons with the receivers and everything else that like there is a lot of optimism right now um, in Atlanta. And look, it's not a bad situation, but like you have Barrett Silly tweeting out that and uh, tagging old takes exposed, which bold strategy got in there. But yeah. his point that like the braves are winning at one of those three teams are winning a title within the next two years like what who like it, the only one that even is somewhat rational to me is the falcons that's it yeah. like i maybe but getting back to the super bowl two super bowl appearances in three years i i okay i mean have you it's seen gonna be the tough. NFC? like wh- I, I don't know maybe I, I guess you can't rule it out because this was the team that was voted to have the best roster in football last year before everybody got injured. So, like, they still have a lot of talented guys. It depends on what happens with their offensive line picks and all that kind of stuff and just staying healthy and um, having Deion Jones on the field for a full season would be nice. But um, the NFC is just tough. Like, they're, it's I, I, probably not. Like, the NFL, uh, I just – I don't know. Getting there once is hard. Getting there multiple times – in a five-year span pretty rare um unless yeah. you're just tom brady like big ben like they're not the steelers they're not the pats they're not peyton manning like it's just it's really hard to do that when you don't have a top three coach and or quarterback and they have a top 10 quarterback and a bottom 10 coach but i guess that I, I, it's possible but yeah the braves they're not anywhere near the Dodgers like they're not anywhere near the Yankees they're not anywhere near the Astros before the Astros have fallen off a cliff the last couple games but um they're good the Braves are good they're gonna be a wild card team I still think I think the Phillies are going to do something drastic but I I don't know I think there you have to there's a balance between drinking the Kool-Aid and just being rational of like okay they're all in pretty good shape and I could see certain things going their way but like expecting a title from any of these teams in th- two years and like just the hype surrounding a lot of these teams is like just very perplexing to me. Am I just a Grinch? No, I mean, in my opinion, 
there are ways that both the Hawks and Braves could win a title in two years or three years. Wait, the Hawks? Um, yes. And win a let, title? Let, let, let me tell you why. Because after this season, they have the the most cap space in oh, the God, league. Don't do this. I've heard and, this too. <laughs> and, you know, Trey Young will be in his third year. Right. John Collins will be in his fourth year. Uh-huh. So you kind of have that those guys turning the corner into um, – productive veteran players that know what they're doing um i wouldn't say veterans do you know how many if you go back to the nba finals do you know how many team how many teams are in the nba finals where their best player is 22 years old doesn't happen well no yeah you you, you have to have some experience and um your best player has I'm, to be 24 25 years old like it's just yeah. you can't win with this league you cannot win with young guys it just no one does right and uh as far as the braves go um I think there are a couple of relievers away from from being able to compete for the NL or the NL title, mm. but um, I, I think it's very doable. Like if you go out this off season when Josh Donaldson comes off the books, uh, you have you move Riley to third. Obviously, you don't resign Donaldson because um, you have want to though. You know, I I wouldn't hate it, but you have Pache and you have Waters coming up through the minor leagues pretty quickly. Who's I Waters? think they'll Drew Waters. Yeah, who is and, that? Uh, is he? What position does he play? He's an outfielder too. Ugh. I like Pash. I know him. Is it? But it's not pronounced Pash. What is it? Is it Christian? Pa- what is it? Pache. Pache. Much better. I like that. Pache. Um, anyway, Christian continue. Pache. Anyways, um, both of those guys are basically doing the same thing at Mississippi right now, which is tearing it up. And um, I think they'll both be here next season as starters. I, I don't think you'll see Nick Markakis next season. I don't think you'll see Josh Donaldson next season. I think this team will look a little bit different. Again, they'll be young, but they'll have that good mix of guys like Ronald and Ozzie and Dansby that have been here for a minute. They understand, and they can kind of help those young guys. And so I think I think with a couple relievers, that team can be really, really, really competitive with the Dodgers. Well, the Do- I mean – how much do you think this bullpen, how, how much better do you think it looks if Vizcaino doesn't get hurt? Were you a Vizcaino believer in the closer spot? Because I've always liked him. Uh, he's hit or miss for me because he was just so inconsistent. Um, you know, when he gave up runs, it was going to be five or six, and he wouldn't give you a chance to win. And I I think personally, a closer's best job, you know, is if you're up by two, he only gives up one and he manages a way to still give you a chance to win the game. Um, Jackson. <laughs> Not Luke Jackson. <laughs> I love Luke Jackson. I mean, I, I think what, I think what he's done to to get to the point he's at now is phenomenal because he's basically just throwing sliders now mm. exclusively, and it's revived his career. But former first round pick. Yeah, but he doesn't have the mentality, in my opinion, to be a closer right now. Mm. I mean, you, you have to be a special kind of person, a special kind of crazy to uh, be a closer. Oh, you're speaking my language. This and is uh, why Rizeal Iglesias, the Reds closer. Yes. <laughs> I want Iglesias. No one's talking about that. The Brad Hand stuff pops up a lot, I think. Um, Kimbrell, whatever, he moved on. I, I want Iglesias. And I think the Braves are the capital to get Iglesias. And I think he'd be really, really good. That's the thing is the, the Braves have all the capital in the world. The The Phillies don't really have anybody in their farm system right now that that is worth right. trading. I 14th in uh, Keith Law's uh, farm system rankings. But that was. And when it came out the other day that um, they were ranked number one by Baseball America, I, I almost lost it because I was really? like, you, yes, you graduated six, six top 100 mm. prospects and you still have eight. It's like, where are these people coming from? And like, but that's concerning if you're the Braves, because that might mean that there are a lot of baseball people that view the Phillies uh, farm system different than how you and I might view it, where. Um, if they want to make another bold trade, like what they did for Real Muto and Segura, they can do that. Um, because they, there are going to be some teams that talk themselves into Mikey McCowniak or whatever their first overall pick was from a couple of years ago. Like they're, I, I'm sure that they're going to be able to do that. And also this ownership group in Philadelphia wants to spend stupid money. Like they're going to do that. I, I'm still a firm believer that the team that signed Bryce Harper traded for Real Muto and, 
um, has just had really bad luck, injury luck in their bullpen as well with Robertson and everybody else, and just their starting rotation just been mostly trash um, outside of Nola. Like I, I just think they're gonna they're gonna answer and do different stuff. Like when you lose to the Marlins on Friday night, never good to lose to the Marlins um, in general. So I think they're gonna get um, nervous and they're gonna do something. I, I just. I have a hard time believing we're not going to see the Phillies move more of their farm system and go the way of the Red Sox, where I think the Red Sox just they're they're finally depleted of um, farm system assets, where they're like bottom of the the AL and and actually I think baseball in general in their farm system rankings because they've graduated everybody out and traded for everybody. Yeah, I think I think a lot of the Phillies' problems are actually with their coaching staff because. Mm-hmm. You you have Bryce Harper, you have JT Realmuto, but those guys are not producing. Um, no, they're producing. They're good. They well, both I mean, good for them. They're good, but they're not producing at the level they thought they would when they when they when they picked them up. Uh, like J, JT Realmuto is has the same way to run creative plus as Tyler Flowers and Brian McCann combined. I think he's on a little and, slump because that he was better. That's uh, like a month ago when I was looking. But yes, continue. The the point is, um, their coaching staff does not usually put them in the best situations to succeed in my, in my opinion, um, like Kapler pulling a guy in the eighth inning when he's been rolling for the last two innings in relief work. And then the, the guy he brings in gives up three runs and they lose a the game. It's, uh, I, I have a hard time believing that he has a great feel for, for the appropriate time to make a, to make a move in the bullpen or where to put people in the lineup. He started batting Bryce Harper first last night at the leadoff like spot. That. And that we we all know how that worked out in Washington, so um, that's a that's a weird one. Is it weirder than Dansby Swanson batting second? No, and the reason I understand Dansby Swanson batting second is because all of a sudden he's hitting fifteen bombs and before the All Star break, mm-hmm. and uh, you want to have that power production right there behind Ronald and in front of Freddie. Um, he's cooled off a lot of yes. late as far as the power production goes. So maybe it is time to start reassessing. Maybe you look at slotting in Austin Riley up there. That's or what move, I would do. Is I would moving Josh Donaldson to second and letting Riley clean up. Um, my biggest gripe with the Braves lineup right now is that Nick Markakis continues to bat fifth day in and day out. Yeah. Um, remember when he was a great value guy the first month of yes. the season where people were like, see, this is why you sign – Nick Markakis and not Bryce Harper. One year, yeah. five million. He's perfect. He's just he's great. Uh, and it's like no, Nick Markakis down the stretch of last year showed you who he really is. He's just old and he's not that yeah. he's a utility guy. He's like Brett Gardner at this point, where it's like you would. He's cool if he's your fourth outfielder, but counting on him to be your everyday right fielder is just. I would have rather used the the money they use on Josh Donaldson on a right fielder. Like I just would have rather had Camargo there for a stopgap year until Riley was able to come up and then um, spend that money on the outfield. Like Harper should have been their target. And the Braves fans who just hate Harper, can someone explain that to me? Like what what is this? Did you they hate did him. no one really they hate him because Harper? he's good? <laughs> yeah, do you hate him because he's good? Like I what? But um, I was I was recently writing a piece for talking chop about Nick Markakis's fatigue throughout the season, how he always starts hot and mm-hmm. stuff like that. I just trashed it because he's such a divisive guy. You know, you're not going to change somebody's mind who believes in him like a Barrett Sally or, you know, yeah. guys like that who are just, you know, unreasonably on board with Nick Markakis and the people who know what Nick Markakis is, you don't need to tell them twice because they know. So he's just one of those people that's, it's really hard to get content out there about how he's doing because you can't change people's minds at this point there. I, I heard the other day, Chip Carey on the broadcast and I wish I wouldn't have heard it because I almost screamed, but he said that Nick Markakis is one of the greatest Braves of all time. God damn it. Did he really? Yes. He said that. <laughs> and I, I almost punched my TV. <laughs> I, I'm telling you it's um the Braves broadcast is uh propaganda. Um, I I just, I mean, it should be, I guess in some capacity, but dear God, (laughs) that was bad. They were talking about like Matt Joyce is like the best, uh, low bargain signing of just their memory. Like Matt (laughs) Joyce, like he's been fine. Okay. I will say, I think the Braves have like the best utility, uh, hitters of any, like I, I'm sure other teams, if we went down the list of what they are able to trot out there, but Culberson, Camargo and Joyce as just your bench utility guys really yeah. enjoy that 
I think that's my favorite thing about this Braves team outside of Acuna is that they're deep. They're deep. Yes. But they could be deeper um, if they did not invest in uh, Josh Donaldson and uh, Nick Marcakis for 2019. Yeah, I, I, I think buying in on Josh was okay because he's he's produced lately and he's really actually carried the team for the last two weeks with his, with his home run barrage. But um, the early season, Josh did not look good. He, st- he looked really rusty. And um, he's old. You know, He's like 33. It's just a um, friend of the pod, Matt Chernoff, used to work for him. Good guy. He uh, he predicted uh, Josh Donaldson for NL MVP before the season. And you know, that, that, that was something that could have very well happened. But If it was 2016? Yeah. Well, I mean, he won in 2015. Yeah. But, you know, if, if Josh Donaldson comes out and he's still hitting the way he was in Cleveland at the end of the year last year, then yeah, he's probably an mvp candidate but oh no, because christian yelich has like a wrc plus of 200 candidate not favorite no, but see that I, I don't like this okay i talked about this in the pod last week with chris swick of yahoo sports where freddie freeman who i think we both admit is awesome we enjoy him he's mr consistent he's been just incredible for the braves in more ways than one on the field off the field whatever love freddie freeman People who talk about him as like the underrated, he should be in the NL MVP conversation, blah, blah, blah. It's like, no, he shouldn't because it's a two-man race. Like it's Bellinger and it's Yelich. Like he just doesn't compare. He's just not as good. He's a top five hitter. He's a top five player in the NL. You could make the case. He yeah. is not an NL MVP candidate. That is not a slight at him. It's just he's like number four, maybe number three. He's fine. He's he's right in that Javi Baez zone where it's like, they're not the NL MVP, but like clearly the best hitter on their team, most valuable on their team, and a really good piece. But like it's Christian Yelich or Cody Bellinger. That's it. Like they're just that's a different tier. Yeah, I, I agree with that opinion a lot because I, I always hear Freddie Freeman is an MVP candidate. And then you, you look at the league wide F war ratings and mm-hmm. you got Cody, Cody Bellinger, Mike Trout, Yelich. Could tell Marte of the Diamondbacks. It's actually at five point three WAR. He's slugging seventy percent. His WRC plus is one ninety five. Like he's he's, he's twenty five home runs. Yeah, it's Bell- Bellinger's just better, and that's okay because yeah. Freeman's really good for the Braves. But like the folks who are just like, I don't know. Exactly. I think Freddie Freeman deserves to be in the conversation. It's like, no, he doesn't. Sorry, he's he's a really good player. But let's not kid ourselves. Right. Just realistic. That's the thing. Is like the Kool Aid juice that all. I just I need to stop some of this stuff. Just, um, well, I have a lot of notes here. So let's go. Uh, we're already on the Braves. So let's wrap up with some of the Brave stuff. Um, Keuchel made his debut last night. Um, kind of a rough outing. Are you at all concerned with Dallas Keuchel going forward? I am not concerned with Dallas Keuchel at all because I feel like there were there were plenty of plays like that Aussie play at second base last night where he threw the ball 80 feet above Freddie Freeman's head into the stands um, are avoidable. And Keuchel is going to get ground balls. You're going to see a ton of ground balls. He had the highest ground ball rate in Major League Baseball last season. Um, he's a guy who pitches to contact, something that the Braves don't really have. They have a lot of strikeout first pitchers. And um, – I think it'll be nice to see a difference, especially with how good the Braves infield defense is. Uh, the one thing I worry about with Keiko is him giving up home runs because the Braves are notorious for trying to get pitchers to pitch up in the zone to uh, to get some strikeouts because that's a new spot that uh, a lot of major league pitching coaches are starting to push is the top of the strike zone. And Keiko throws 86, 88, 89, 90. And in the top of the zone, if you make a mistake, a hitter can get to that. Like we saw last night, Jan Gomes hit a home run off of him that was straight down the middle in the top of the zone. And uh, that, that's a place I think Keuchel needs to avoid. Yeah, I mean, Soroka is just Mr. Old Fashioned where he, I mean, everything about him is old school in the way he pitches and just trying to get balls in play and he doesn't give up home runs ever. That's what you want, right? Like Keuchel to be some iteration of... Soroka. Yeah, I think I think the Braves have really bolstered their pitching rotation to a point now where it is playoff competitive. You have in a three in a three man rotation, Mike Soroka. Right I'm I'm saying in the playoffs when you yeah, move it to three man. Yeah, that you're comfortable I, with. I, I would be completely comfortable with running out Mike Soroka, Max Fried, and then Dallas Keuchel. Okay. And you know if if Mike Fultonevich turns the corner and 
somehow comes back to what he was last year, that's even better. Because then the Braves have four pitchers that they can depend on in the playoffs. I do not think you throw Julio Tehran in the playoffs. No. Um, he's he's been extremely lucky to to only have a three point four ERA, right. mm-hmm. and uh, I think that we'll see some negative regression coming there pretty soon. But uh, yeah, I, I'm I'm very happy with what the Braves have done. Paying that thirteen million is what you have to do when you're ready to go for it, and I think the Braves are ready to go for it. Hmm. Yeah, I don't know. I, I think it's going to be interesting. I mean, Fulton Evich, I guess we're all writing off. Like, that just... Um, and then the whole feigning thing, that story still baffles me, where he pulled himself out because, it, like, he doesn't eat on game days. And, yeah, all, like, what? That's a little bit weird, but, you know, pitchers have their right. their I don't know. superstitions, Evich, I guess. I want to like a lot, and I want to trust, and last year was great, but I... Do they move on like from him? Does Tehran like the? Because we talk about their young prospect capital and their their starting arms and all that kind of stuff. But like, I wonder if Tehran and Fulton Evich are both on this team by September. I, I think they're both here by September. I think Julio Tehran is not on this team in 2020. Um, as for Fulty, uh, it's really hard to give up on a guy that throws 99. Mm-hmm. You know, because you always feel like, hey. If he can't start, maybe he can go to the pen and you know give you some some the new closer setup like man. Bolnevich. Yeah, and we we talked about that a lot when he was younger. And um, if if this season continues the way it is, I will start to worry about him enough to to start bringing that up again. Um, but the Braves do have a lot of pitchers in in the pipeline, and they're coming fast. So you know your job is never safe in the major leagues as a starting pitcher for the Atlanta Braves right now. If you had to move any of their pitching prospect capital, um, especially all the guys in AAA right now, um, for a Bumgarner or um, even just a, a better bat in right field, um, who do you move? Who are you okay with moving? Because not all these guys are going to hit. That's the other Braves fans. Like They're kind of spoiled at this point where Acuna, Albies, all these guys, they're hitting. Austin Riley. But mo- all prospects don't don't hit some of these guys are going to bust pitching is really hard um especially young pitching some of these guys are going to blow out their arm in the next year it's just like how it goes in baseball it seems like and i wonder who you who who do you move on from who is who is the guy where you're like okay this will hurt a little bit but i'm okay we sometimes you just have to like not all these guys ian anderson Colby, uh, kyle wright colby allard all these dudes they're not all going to hit and be superstars um who would you move for even a rental, but like a veteran rental like Bumgarner? Is there anyone on that group that you're like, okay, I'm okay moving on from? Yeah, and you, you bring up a pretty good point there with how lucky the Braves have been as far as injuries go. You know, I feel like Patrick Weigel is the only guy that's a prospect that we've heard that's blown out his elbow so far. And the amount of pitching that's in the Braves system, and that's the only guy, it's, uh, it's pretty phenomenal uh, luck, if you ask me. As far as pitchers to trade, um, you have the ghost of Luis Gohara down there that you can pull. And uh, Colby Allard, I don't think he'll be a major league pitcher, even though we've heard lately he's starting to throw 93 miles an hour, which is a vast improvement from the 89 he was throwing in the major leagues last season. Um, I, I feel like it would be okay in the right situation to move a Bryce Wilson or a Kyle Wright by themselves for a bum garner. I do not think you package up more than one prospect to move for a guy that's going to give you three months of pitching. Um, you know, there's always the chance he resigns with the Braves, but bum garner hasn't been good this season. Um, he's been basically Julio Tehran. Mm. And if, if that's, if that's what we're trying to trade for to bolster a rotation, then you can't be giving up much. I mean, maybe even a salary swap of Julio Tehran and Madison Bumgarner plus a prospect. But um, can they beat the Yankees offer of Clint Frazier and, and filler? I don't know if you want to mm-hmm. um, just, just for the simple reason, like I said, uh, for Trevor Bauer. Absolutely. Okay. But you know, he's, he's definitely going to a big city. I feel like at the end of the season, he, uh, he fits that profile for a guy that wants to go to the Yankees or Dodgers or, Boston Red Sox or something like that. So you, the one thing you always have to keep in mind is you're paying for the the amount of time that these guys are going to give you, not for 
um, them as a player what they're worth. So, you know, in a vacuum, if Trevor Bauer is signed for three years, he's probably worth four of your top prospects. But the reality of the situation is he's probably walking in three months to go to a different team. So if you give up four of your top prospects, you're just shooting yourself in the foot. And um, I'm, I'm pretty impressed with how sane Alex Anthopoulos has been so far with his moves. He's he's uh, done his due diligence. He hasn't made knee jerk reactions. And uh, you see it's paid off recently. He had room. He went and got Dallas Keuchel. And I feel like Dallas Keuchel is going to shore up this rotation more than uh, more than anybody else on the open market would have this offseason. If you would have asked me in December if the Braves had a chance to get Dallas Keuchel for any amount of time this season, I would have been over the moon because, you know, coming off the seasons he's he's coming off of with the Astros, he's got World Series experience. That's a that to me, that's an underrated piece to every playoff team is a guy that's gone through a couple rounds, has got to the World Series and actually played in it. That's that's something that's important to me. And like we said earlier with the NBA, you have to have veterans. Um, You know, kids can't win consistently by themselves. Luckily, the Braves have. um a pretty good mix of veterans and kids already. But I think if you're, if you're talking about moving pitchers for a Bumgarner or Bauer to get back on track, um, I think you look at moving Luis Gohara, who's a lost cause, um, Colby Allard, maybe Kyle Wright and uh, Bryce Wilson. Okay. Yeah, I would. Uh, it's interesting about, I, I don't know. I don't know what they're going to do. I don't think they're going to trade for Bumgarner. I don't think they're going to trade for Bauer. They're going to do something more low end. I, I don't know who that is, but um, if they trade for another starter, I think that's what they do. But I think they're going to actually get in. I think Anthopolis is going to go down the closer route because I don't know if you remember this I agree. or not. Uh, he paid the highest uh, closer salary of all time. He's still the guy who gave the highest um, closer contract yes. ever, uh, BJ Ryan. So I think he's eventually going to make that move. I want it to be Iglesias. I, I don't think it's going to be Iglesias because I'm sure it's going to come out like the culture fit and like he's kind of a head case and just like being upset about how he's being used but it's like if you go into the details of how he's being used I understand like why closer would be annoyed with his routine and stuff like that being altered because of just how much of a, a mental thing being a closer is that like they need that to know when they're going in like don't put me in at the bottom of the ninth when we're down one or something like what are you doing that's not uh, that's a you have it's a different headspace um for guys like that so i i don't know i i've always sympathized with what he's dealt with in cincinnati and i think he's got a bad rap for just being like this is not my job so I want Iglesias, and I think with the Reds firmly being out of um, contention in the NL Central, I, I think he's gettable. But I just part of me just thinks if the Indians can't catch up to the wild card spot, that it's going to be Brad Hand or somebody like that. I, I don't know um, anyone else that jumps off the page for the Braves that they they would get on board with. But I could love I could see Carey and Frank Cor talking about Brad Hand uh, more glowingly than uh, Iglesias would be my guess. The Pirates closer uh, should be on the market, Felipe mm. Vasquez. Okay, I like that. And, uh, you know, there are a bunch of teams out there within the next two weeks or so that have to make a decision whether they want to be buyers and sellers. I think Alex Anthopoulos did the right thing. He went and got a starter for no for no prospect capital. That's a that's a major majorly important point um, that we forget with Dallas Keuchel. He didn't have to give up anything to get Dallas Keuchel. So you still have all of your silver bullets in the pipeline ready to uh, to make a big trade for a closer or setup man or something like that. Um, obviously, I wouldn't go setup man. You need a closer on this team right now. And um, th- I think there's going to be more than three or four options available out there for him, and he's going to get it done. I know who it's going to be. Ian Kennedy. <laughs> Oh, God. I'm not kidding. I, I think that's who it's going to be. I think it's going to be Ian Kennedy. The Royals connection. Dayton Moore. Sherholtz is like, hey, Alex, uh, my old friend. He's got a got a good closer. Forget about 2018, where opponents had a 971 OPS, second time through the lineup against him, which was the worst mark in baseball. Um, he's been a good closer this year. I, um, I'm all about it. Let's, let's do it. Yeah, but he scares me to death because... His career line is like fastballs now, four eleven, four twenty nine. It's like, yeah, 
yeah, he he can he can be good at times, but uh, maybe he has changed something this year. Maybe maybe something is something something else is working. But I don't know. I'm pretty wary of trading for guys that have a history. I'm going to go ahead and say on this podcast, that's who the Braves trade for. It makes too much sense. I've already visualized it. It's going to be Ian Kennedy, your new closer. That's what I think. I'm going to make my guess as the Braves make a blockbuster trade right at the deadline for Marcus Stroman and Ken Giles. Mm. Okay. Interesting. What? But Anthopolis had kind of a bad. They do not. They do not like doing deals with him. Right. But I don't think you know. Can, yeah. You can't say no if you give up a Waters or a Pache in that deal or something like that. I wouldn't do that. But you know, if you come at them with the right package, it's hard for any team to say no. Hmm. Interesting. So let's uh, let's talk Hawks real quick. Um, All right. Did the Hawks win the Luca trade? Because I saw in the Dallas Morning News they're already doing now that the trade's over um, because the Hawks ended up with Cam Reddish and um, Trey Young, and the Mavericks ended up with Luka Doncic. And the this is going to be what we're looking at for the next couple of years because the the last year the Hawks fans were like, well, you got to see what the Mavericks pick turns out to be to really judge this pick. Okay, well they got Jeff Green. Congratulations. So now you have Trey Young and Jeff Green. So you're really looking at. Um, what Trey Young's going to be over the next 10 years versus what Luka Doncic is going to be. Um, I I think, Sam, you know how I feel about Luka Doncic in this, in this deal. Yeah. And I... <laughs> the Trey Young second half stuff is... I'm... How do I... I'm not a hater. Like, that's the biggest thing. It's like, it's such a lazy thing when people are like, oh, did you see Trey Young's? Like, they're comparable. It's like, well, no... Trey Young had the worst statistical defensive season of all time. Like, defensive real plus minus. And if you watch those games, you look at it and you're like, oh. And the playoffs, and where teams just exploit matchup after matchup after matchup, he's going to get pulverized. And I just look at him and I'm like, okay. Unbelievable offensive game. Unbelievable court vision. Love watching him find passes and find seams that other guys just can't find. He's he's just got rare on-court vision. Love Trey and on the offensive side of the floor. His shot came, which was a huge thing because it, he wasn't shooting well in the first couple months. It's like, oh, if he doesn't have a shot, then this is bad. Um, so I think the trade went from an abject disaster to, okay, he's not a bust, but he's also still not Luka. Um, I just, I don't think the defensive upside, we're like, well, he's going to get bigger. I'm like, he's not going to get taller. He's not going to put on that much more weight. Look at his frame. Like, it's not like he's going to get super bulky and everything else. Like, his frame is always going to limit him on the defensive side of the ball. He is going to get hit. He's going to get targeted on pick and roll after pick and roll. And it's going to be borderline unplayable, that first playoff experience where, like, we're going to watch and you and I are going to look at the film and we're going to be like, oh, shit. Like, Ben Simmons and the Sixers just went at him. Jimmy Butler and all these guys. Like, these smart teams are just going to force trey young to play defense and he's not gonna be able to do it so i'm not worried about that with luca i think luca will be fine on both ends all the time his step back three is maybe my favorite shot in basketball um love luca Doncic forever and ever and i will never forgive travis link for for doing what he did but um i do think now that the the trade is over and that they ended up with cam reddish there deandre hunter um jeff siegel your uh Coworker, what do we call it? Co-op? Colleague, colleague, yeah. yeah. Um, who's been on this podcast a lot? Love Jeff. Referred to DeAndre Hunter as a number three option, and I tweeted out, "It's always good to trade up in a one-player draft for a number three option, the number four pick." Love to see it. And Hunter, everything I've read is like, oh, he's like OG and Anobi crossed with like, I don't even cross with Rudy Gay. Like I don't. What? I, I everything I look at, I'm like, I, uh, no, no, thank you. You don't trade up for that. You don't give up the eighth pick for that. You don't do. You could have gotten. I, I, I don't know. I like. Is he that much different than Brandon Clark? I don't. I. This is all just. It sucks. And I look at this young core, Herder like a lot. All John Collins. People are way too like. He's a great offensive rebounder. He's a lot of fun to watch when he's going off. Um, his shot's a lot better than I thought it would be. But that core of now Reddish, Collins, Hunter, Herter, and Trey is going to win a lot of games. And that's what I figured out. Like, this team's going to be in the playoffs for, like, the next 10 years. Like, I think they're going to be a playoff team next year. And they're going to be good. They're going to win a lot of games. 
lot of regular season games, and they're going to get fucking torpedoed in the playoffs. And this is just a team where they don't have uh, a top 10 guy or a future top 10 guy. They have a bunch of like top 50 guys where like if you were to tell me three years from now, Trey, Herter, Hunter, and Collins were all top 50 NBA players, I would believe that. Do I think any of them are going to be top 10 players? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. Do I think Trey will be a top 10 offensive player? Yes. Do I think defense matters too much to ever put him there? Yes. So it's just, there are different varying degrees, and there's a lot of ways of looking at this. But I think Schlink went the way of going, we're getting proven college guys, guys that fans will like and remember and go to the games, buy the jerseys. We're going to be fun. We're going to shoot a bunch of threes because we're going to play at a high pace because maybe a lot of people didn't realize this, but the Hawks played at the fastest pace of anyone in the NBA last year. Um, they're going to try and outscore teams. They're going to do a lot of the Sun stuff, it feels like, um, those Steve Nash Suns teams. But I I think they're capped out at just 60 wins, kind of like that 2015 Hawks team where it's like a really good starting unit that's going to play together, play fun, share the ball, but they don't have anyone that figures to be a top 10 player. Is that a fair analysis of this group am I, or am I just a hater and a, and a dumb idiot who should not log on to twitter.com <laughs> so I want to go back to the point of this Luka Doncic Trey Young comparison thing I really hate that they were traded for each other yes. because now their entire career is just going to be hey what did this guy do versus what this guy did and they're two completely different players um, Luka Doncic is a guy who you trade for in any situation I, I, I do love Luca, but I, I understand what Travis Slink is trying to do. He's he's trying to find somebody who could be a floor general, and Trey Young definitely has that tool. I mean, I, I don't think I've ever seen a prospect come out of the draft and have a better passing season. Um, he's he's going to be a monster on the offensive end. Like you said, he's going to have his issues defensively, and um, I think – that Travis Link has done the right thing. He's got a defense first coach in Lloyd Pierce, even though it didn't seem like it last season, but I'll give Pierce the benefit of the doubt that he did not have the talent that he needed to um, have a good defense this he year. He's got yet. Cause if you remember reading the quotes of him about a bead and the way the Sixers would funnel guys into the lane and cause um, they, they just were like, he had a Nick, what was the acronym? And it wasn't NBA. It was something like no fucking free throws or no, what was it? He had this acronym that he like about his system where he just not, it wasn't nothing easy, but he had like this three word acronym about like funneling guys into the paint, like nothing easy, nothing. Uh, everything's contested outside and they just want to force guys into the heart of their defense and take up contested floaters, layups, all that kind of stuff. And I don't remember what it was, but Dwayne Debman's not that guy. So I don't think no. he has his like rim protector that he really wants. That's when I'll judge him as a, a defensive minded coach is when he gets um, somebody in there that's not Dwayne Deadman that can, and not John Collins, because John Collins also not a good defender. Um, he, he has the look of one, but not. And also, Trey Young is his lead uh, ball handler. And uh, it's going to be hard to put together a top 10 defense, uh, even if you're a defensive minded coach, when you have Trey Young out there for 30 plus minutes a night. And I, I think the way they drafted this season has made up for the way they drafted last season because um, last season I was sitting there like they really aren't going to play defense at all in Atlanta because they drafted Kevin Herter, who has traditionally not been a defender at Maryland. They drafted Trey Young, who we know, I mean, he just, it's, it's not his fault, but he's not big enough to, to defend a legit NBA point guard. Um, he can be hidden on defense, which I think is what, Schlink and Pierce are going for by drafting a huge guy in DeAndre Hunter and then a semi-big wing in um, Cam Reddish. Both of those guys showed advanced defensive skills at their respective colleges this season. Um, I think Hunter is going to be one of the top defenders in the league in a couple years. He's just he's a defense first guy. He's got the length. He's got the athleticism. Um, I think he's a guy you can put out there on the, on a LeBron or you can put out there on a KD and feel comfortable about leaving him out there. Unlike, you know, when they drafted Torian Prince, um, everybody thought he was going to be a three and D guy. Well, it turns out he didn't play D at all. And, um, you know, when you, when you, when your only tools are shooting spot up three pointers and playing defense, I mean, that's Deandre Hunter. It, no. 
And here's why. Okay. okay. Yeah. I feel like DeAndre Hunter has a good enough dribble to where he can get under the rim, make passes to his other bigs, or make the simple kickout pass. The biggest issue with Prince was when he got in the lane, he was always trying to force a shot, or you know, he would not make the simple skip pass to the corner. He would he would dribble the ball off of his foot. You know, he he was a nightmare when he had to move with the ball. Um, Hunter is has got a different level of and I don't I don't want to insult anybody, but Hunter's got a, another level of basketball intelligence that I don't think Prince had. Um, this whole team has a high basketball IQ. That's another thing. Yeah. Like Trey, Herder, Collins, Hunter, Reddish even. I think they're all high basketball IQ guys. Deadman, Definitely. Like everything. Like I think all of that. And I think that's part of what Schlink's trying to do. Yes. And uh, Schlink, like you said earlier, Schlink wants to create a pace um, that's breakneck, kind of like what the Warriors did at the beginning of their run. See, that's what his whole – his whole blueprint is based off what they did with the Warriors coming up. And he's tried to draft players that are similar. Obviously, you cannot draft Steph Curry. You cannot right. draft Klay Thompson. Um, I mean, that is that is what it is. But you can draft players who have the same tendencies, who have the same um, offensive skill sets. Maybe they're not all-time greats, but they do get you to 60 wins or right. more. That's the thing. And is it, he's building the 60-win the model of a couple of years ago. Yeah, and um, I think that's okay because he's built it into a young team. The issue with the Hawks team that won 60 games is that they were old. Right. And it's like... That's what I tweeted. I was just like, this is just a younger version of it. Like, it's a younger version with that's going to be more fun. That's what it's going to be. But that Hawks team was fun because they shot a lot of threes. They had Corver and everybody else, and they played the right way. They passed the ball around. But, like, Damari Carroll, DeAndre Hunter, pretty similar players to me. I, I, I do think there's some differences, and... The, the the beautiful thing is that team was capped out. Like they 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 spent a lot of money. Yes. Obviously they couldn't end up re-signing Al Horford. They they decided to go the route of Dwight Howard, which I I won't even go there. But thirty on that. How that yeah. happens. And also like Boonholzer are wanting to pair Howard and Horford at one point during the negotiations and everything. And also the amount of Hawks fans that hate Horford and like still just don't like I don't understand that. And like this, still the talk radio guys who are like, Oh, he's just overpaid. Someone's going to give him this deal. He's not that. And I'm like, I, I just, the amount of people that don't understand how good Al Horford is at basketball, even in 2019 is, uh, is, is wild. I'm not surprised because you know, Al isn't a flashy guy. Right. He just d- gets the work done. You have and, to watch um, the film. You have to watch the exactly. You have to watch the little things that he does where you're like, Jesus. Yeah. And, um, anyways, going back to the, to the 61 thing that, that Hawks team, didn't have room for growth. And I feel like this version of the Hawks team, they're going to run, they're going to gun. And um, I think Lloyd Pierce has his two defenders in Reddish and oh, Hunter now. Reddish and the, the Mr. Floater himself, like in and out of games where you're like, I, does he know he's still on the floor? We're going to forget Reddish is on the floor a bunch. I wouldn't call him a defender. He was compared I, I, to Carmelo I really liked, high school. I really liked his defense last season at Duke um, as okay. an on-ball defender. He, he had several rip-throughs where he was – you know, he was involved in the defense a lot. I think um, the, the biggest issue for him is that was a terrible fit for him personally. Um, I don't think he ever should have gone to Duke after Zion and RJ both committed because at that point I knew I was like, this is going to be the guy that's forgotten. This is going to be the guy that's left out. Um, he did hit several big shots for them, but I feel like if he would have been in a college where he was the number one option, he probably would have been a top five pick in this draft. Um, he he's uber athletic and I feel like he shoots better than he showed last season at Duke. Um, the, the defense is my biggest calling card for him because I feel like with his size and speed, um, he's a guy that you can put on a point guard and, you know, feel comfortable with him out on the wing, you know, that he won't get completely obliterated as typical small forwards do. Because you have Herder and Trey as your lead guards. And if they're on the floor a bunch of minutes, like you're going to have to use your wings on those elite ball handlers because they just, they're not going to be able to do it. And they're not going to be able to switch. Like, I I don't, what is the Hawks scheme going to be? Because I don't know if they're going to be very switchy. I I think um, their, their biggest goal will be to hide Trey. And that's their biggest defensive deficit. You know, that would be any team's biggest defensive deficit but also is John Collins. You know, I think John is one of those guys who who can play better when 
uh, he's got other good defenders around him. And I know, I know that may not make sense, but you know, um, him seeing other guys around him give effort might make him decide to give extra effort when a guy's driving to the rim and stuff like that. Um, but I do agree they need to go out and get a big man who can block shots. I really like the pick um, that they made at 34 going up to get Bruno Fernando. I think he's not that guy, but he's better than Omari Spellman was last season. Um, I like that pick a lot more than the Spellman pick. Um, not not to say Omari Spellman is a bad NBA player, but um, I feel like Bruno Fernando has a much better chance of sticking in the NBA due to his skill set. Um, he's good around the rim. I I think Alex Lynn is the type of player they want to go for. That, that seven foot two, just monster to put down in the paint. Um, I would rather than I don't, Robin Lopez. Yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't know if you if you go for an older player or you wait it out another season because I think the Hawks have might veterans in there. You've got to, if, especially if you're going to try and make the playoffs. They that that's part of the reason Deadman was so critical for their team and he was just smart and knew what to do. Mister Corner Three himself. Um, you have to have some some veterans in that starting lineup. You have to have somebody. Yeah, I, I think that'll. I think that the veterans will actually be the guys who have been here the longest, like Collins. Um, I, I don't. I don't see them. They've already built so far, you know, with the young guys, and they put all their trust in the young guys. And last season, it paid off into thirty wins. You know, um, I, I didn't expect the Hawks to win thirty games last year. I don't know if if you did or not, but I I, did not. I, I, I expected them to be a twenty win team and. You know that's big for them to add ten wins in a season where it was like I thought I thought they were going to be awful. The biggest thing for Lloyd Pierce is they bought in and he got those dudes to in April and March when they were firmly just out of the playoff chase and everything else. They were still if you watch those games, Trey was still hitting those game winning floaters and everything else that they were still busting their ass. Yes, absolutely. That's a big part of it is getting your guys to buy into your scheme. Um, But I, I think. This Hawks team can go out and spend some money on a big man. I don't know if you do that for Boogie Cousins. No. Um, he's got a lot of concerns. No. Uh, but I do think you need to go and spend your money on either a big or you need to go out and spend your money on a um, on a backup point guard. Yeah. Um, I don't know. We're going to have to see what they do here. Um, some, some fun Luka Doncic rookie stats compared to uh, LeBron James. They averaged the same amount of points, 20.7, 20.9. Um, just I, the rebounds, Don Chinch, obviously more by a couple, um, assists per game, 5.6, 5.9. Don Chinch is the 21st in NBA in assists per game. This was at the all-star game ahead of, uh, where Steph Curry and Paul George and other guys at that point in their career. Um, bunch of triple doubles, bunch of double doubles. Like I, I guess my question for all Hawks fans who have talked themselves into Dre. Now that you have Trey and Reddish, would you have done that deal? Would you still have, like when Doncic was there and you didn't have to trade him, would you have just taken Doncic, taken Herter, and still just built this team around Doncic instead of Trey? Would you have traded him? Would I yes. have? Personally, no. Okay. I would have never made that trade in the first place. Um, but I understand what Schlink was trying to do, and I I don't fault him for it. I don't think it was a terrible trade. You know, it's fine if 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 what you want is a point guard instead of I mean a small Donch, forward. He's Donch is a point guard. He's lead ball he's, handler. Yeah, but he won't play the point guard position on the floor. He, 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 you're right. You're right. He will he will hold the ball, and you know that that that'll be what he does is distribute. But um, Travis Schlink wanted a guy. I think he wanted a guy who, you know, could go out there on a nightly basis, no matter who was on the floor with him, and get ten assists. And um, I mean, so could Doncic. He could, but I think Trey's passing skills are a little bit better. Um, I do think the shooting, as their career goes on, will be about the same. The defense is the biggest gap for me because Luca can actually defend somebody. You know, he's not a good defender either, but. Um, he he can at least you know not get punished on a block by an NBA player. I, I don't think you do this trade, um, regardless of whether it was Reddish or you know anybody else. That that pick in a vacuum is a good pick. The number ten pick in any draft is a good pick. Um, 
but I, I just don't think you give up Luka Doncic in any situation. That's all I want but, people to admit. Just don't do it. Like, they're making the best of it. This team's going to be fun. They're not going to be a championship contender. They'll never win a title, but they're going to be fun. They're going to win a lot of games over the next 10 years. Enjoy that. If you just adjust your expectations, adjust the hype that, like, Schlink is building a fun, sustainable 10-year team. He's still fucked up. Like, it's still wrong. Like, the Luka stuff, I still think will be indefensible forever. Like, it's just wrong. Luka Doncic is going to be an MVP one day. Hall of Famer. He's 19 and was averaging 21, 7, and 7. Like, he just, the step back threes, everything, the way he sees the game, both sides of the floor, like, just bona fide superstar, day one. Like, it's, it's done. Like, you, you don't, you, those guys don't come around the league very often. There's going to be a lot of Trace. I'm going to go ahead and tell you, maybe one Doncic every 10 to 15 years, there's going to be several more Trey Youngs. I'll, I'll say it's, it's fine. I mean, it is what it is at this point. But Join me, Sam. I can't I can't go out and say that that Schlink made a horrible trade there because he he did get NBA players back. I mean he got two NBA players, and if we're looking at this trade in a vacuum, uh, Luka Doncic has defensive issues. He is a great offensive player. Trey is a great offensive player. Trey might 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 be the worst defender in the NBA. Yep. But you also get Cam Reddish, who we don't know what he is. Um, he. <laughs> He's he's one of my prospects in this draft that was the biggest variance of any prospect out there. He he could be a top twenty five player in the in the in the NBA, or he could be a bust. You know, he's just one of those guys that we don't we don't actually know who Cam Reddish is yet. Yeah, um, I think I'm the most positive about the, the Falcons. I I really am because I think this group. Um, Deion Jones is just so critical to this team. I love what they got out of Kazee last year. Moving him to the slot is going to be huge in early returns. Bringing the training camp stuff is like he's he's ready. And I think he played a lot of slot in college. But um, I love Kazee. And um, the Vic Beasley stuff is insane. I can't believe we're still doing this year after year. But um, Claiborne back in the fold. Uh, Grady Jarrett. I'm a little nervous about the contract stuff there. But I look at this team and I'm like, okay. You could sell me on this team having a Super Bowl run. Like, I don't think they're going to get there because it's like we talked about at the top of the show. It's just it's really hard to get a, get a Super Bowl twice in like a five-year span when you don't have a best quarterback in the league kind of deal, best coach, all that kind of stuff. Um, but I think they have the most realistic chance in 2019 of making it. And um, a lot of it's going to come down to those picks. Like, uh, it seems like there's a lot of disagreements depending on who you read about the fit for McGarry and Lindstrom and um how that's going to work i mean they also signed brown and carpenter they they spent a lot of money on their offensive line which was smart um especially with how many times matt ryan got hit and everything and how much better he is from a clean pocket versus having to move around and not having space but also like are you betting on Devontae freeman playing 16 games because he missed 14 last year um what does really look like in year two um does the julio contract stuff get resolved does muhammad sanu continue being mr yak who i just very much love does austin hooper go to the next level and dirt cutter scheme who dirt cutter got a lot out of oj howard in tampa bay and everything i i think there's a lot of room for optimism with this falcons team i think if i had to rank my level of optimism about the the three teams that uh, barrett seems to think have a realistic shot at a title in the next two years i would go one falcons two braves three hawks yeah, I, I think I'd go there too. Um, but like you said, it is insanely hard to get back. I think if there's any team that Atlanta has ever had that could get back, it's this one. Um, strict, only because I think it hurts so bad in in the last Super Bowl that they really actually want to get back. You know, a lot of teams they'll go and play, they'll lose by three points. The game was close the whole time. You'll never hear from them again. But the the way that the Falcons lost. They they have something they want to go back and rectify. Like, and I'm not sure you can you you can't. I I know you can't ever make that okay the way they lost. But you know, um, getting back would be a first step. Uh, I I do like the picks this year. I think offensive line was their biggest weakness, and I don't think they were very weak as a healthy team. So, you know, this might be still the strongest roster in the National Football League. Um, I, I really am interested to see how they do the backup running back situation. Um, you're right. Devonte is a guy who you worry about 
missing games every season. Uh, just because of the way he runs, he runs with reckless abandon, head down. Uh, he's, he's looking for injuries, basically. Um, but I, I do... I do want to see how they'll how they'll work their uh, their new offensive schemes under Dirk Cutter. If it'll be similar to what it was when he was here before, or if there's some new wrinkles in it due to the fact that he's got a, a bunch of higher Marky. level athletes. Yeah. Um, I don't know because like Malarkey was doing the grind and pound like old school stuff in Tennessee a couple years ago, and that obviously proved to get them to the playoffs. Um, it was maybe the best season of the Titans for the last couple of years, but um, it's going to be an interesting combination between the two of them where they're like, I, I wonder how much they're going to commit to the run and Freeman and everything else. Like the contract's just bad and looks worse every year, but um, shout out to Devonte Freeman for uh, cashing on that Kyle Shanahan um, development. Like Kyle Shanahan is like, I hope Kyle Shanahan gets like a Christmas present from Devonte Freeman every year because <laughs> without Kyle Shanahan, I don't think any of this happens, but um, yeah, I just, it's going to be interesting because the back, like Desmond Trufant had a, a, just a bad year last year. Alfred's gone. Like I wonder with Allen being back and Keanu Neal is, is the secondary good enough to hold up? Will they get enough of a pass rush to, really compete in the nfc south because the nfc south is just loaded like if cam's healthy and um bruce arians gets a lot out of Jameis this year and the saints like drew Brees, his shoulder heals and um that offense keeps humming along with kamara and thomas and um they have the two best offensive tackle combinations in football and armstead and ramzik and it's just hard to see the saints fading until it actually happens um it's just going to be tough to get out of that division. Like nine and seven, like like they could be a very good nine and seven and make the playoffs and we'll see what happens. But I think they need to win the division. If you look at um, the past couple of years and just how things work in football now, like the wildcard runs are far more rare than they used to be. Like the teams that go to the Super Bowl year after year, if you look at the Super Bowl appearances, it's the number one seed, number one seed number one seed versus number two seed like they have to go 13 and three they have to click on a lot of different levels i think matt ryan has to have an mvp like season julio's got to go off um really has got to make a jump uh freeman's got to play in 10 to 15 games like a lot has to go right but i think after the injury marred 2017 or 2018 season it, it's fair to be optimistic and be like hey i don't think that's going to happen back to back years and if Deion jones plays 16 games and all those guys Vic beasley maybe has the the crazier he had a couple years ago where it's not sustainable it's not real because it's just more sacks versus hurries um which is never a good long-term look um it's the bud dupree tj watt all that kind of stuff like it's just it's not indicative of future success um i think that you could sell me on all of those different things so i i think that's possible um we'll see uh but um i'm, I'm okay with falcon's optimism in uh mid-june yeah, it, it's 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 hard to lose half your defense in a season and still be good. Um, I I really think the Falcons would have been a playoff team, you know, last season had they had their entire defense on the field. Um, the the biggest issue this season for me is, like I said, I, I want to see the way they run the ball. I do not want to see any more <laughs> toss crack whip, you know. Oh, throwing the ball the to Ridley, the boundaries. Uh, the Ridley uh, end around that was yeah. tried twice a game last year that never worked. Yeah, I, I not seeing that Tommy will Coleman be a win up the middle in for itself. Two yards on halfback dive, you gonna miss that? <laughs> not at all. It's uh, I, I just wonder, you know, will they will they start featuring a fullback in more of their stances again? Because I I think a really underrated part of that season where they went to the to the uh, Super Bowl was Patrick Demarco, mm. and uh. He he had such a huge impact on switching things up. You know, uh, I recall with him the biggest play I think I remember with him is there was a play where he got loose for like sixty yards on a on a flip pass, and uh, you know at at that point it was like the Falcons really have every weapon on their team producing, and um, the Falcons have too many weapons to not use all of them like last season. Last season I thought they limited themselves quite a bit. When you um, when you don't give your best players open space to make a play, and uh, I hope I hope we see a lot more this season where um, Cutter gets them into open space and lets them make a play for themselves. 
All right. Well, let's wrap up here, Sam. I appreciate you making the time early on a Saturday morning in Atlanta. Absolutely. Two Atlanta boys uh, just chopping it up early on a Saturday. But anyway, um, is there anything coming out uh, for you, uh, Talking Chop, Petri Hoops, that we need to check out? You can be on the lookout for some uh, draft reactions at Peachtree Hoops coming up pretty soon. Uh, as far as Talking Chop goes, I might have something in the works towards the trade deadline. So um, if you guys would like to follow me on Twitter, my username is at SamTheMan180. And uh, Chase, I really appreciate you having me on this morning. Thank you for making the time. This was good. We'll have to do it again soon. Absolutely. Thanks, Sam. And that'll do it for today's episode of the Chase Thomas Podcast. I just want to remind you guys, if you like today's episode and you are subscribed on Apple Podcasts or iTunes, I would really appreciate it if you could take a second, leave the show a five-star rating and a review. If uh, you're not an Apple Podcast listener, remember you can find the show on Spotify, TuneIn Radio, SoundCloud, Stitcher, uh, Google Play, or wherever else you get your podcasts. Uh, be sure to check out ChaseThomasPodcast.com where you can access all of my previous episodes and also find all my writing. I'm writing there fairly often. And also follow me on Twitter at Chase underscore Thomas and like the Facebook page at facebook.com slash Chase Thomas Writer. Thank you for your support and we'll be back with another episode very soon. Thanks, guys. Nicely done, nephew. Chase Thomas Podcast. Hell yeah. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.